Hi, I'm Sylvain Bertelot, and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. Today, my guest is Sabina Kenin, and we're going to talk about Fabry disease. Hi, Sabina. Very nice to uh, have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, um, as everyone knows, I love starting with a song. Uh, so would you be able to share which song you selected and why you chose that song? Mm, yes. Um, so I picked We Are Family by Sister Sledge. Um, as I've said before, it's quite a, a little bit of a cheesy song and and played at way too many weddings, I'm sure, but um, <laughs> it just brings a lot of memories for me, um, both at family weddings, of course, but um, it just means a lot to my sisters and I. Um, I was lucky to grow up in a large, loving family, mm -hmm. and um, my father, I, I have a particular memory of that that song, dancing at my own wedding 25 years ago um, and my father and mother dancing with us. And um, now that my father is gone, it's just a very special memory um, with us dancing and enjoying life together because we wouldn't get through this life without each other. So family is very, very important to me. That's a very nice message to start with. Uh, and I love that song, so I fully approve. <laughs> not, not that I would uh, disapprove of any uh, musical taste, because everyone's allowed to have their own taste. <laughs> uh, so the first question that I wanted to ask, I don't know anything about Fabry. So uh, I was wondering if you could explain how it presents itself for you. Yes, Fabre is, um, it's one of many lysosomal storage disorders. Um, it is an inherited disease. Um, it impacts people in different ways. Um, to keep it in very plain layman's terms, um, I'm missing a certain enzyme in my body. And with, without that enzyme, there is a buildup of fatty tissues on a cellular level, which impacts several different um, organs. Um, the most common is kidney, kidney involvement. There's cardiac involvement. In my case, um, I have a, a lot of um, issues in my, in my vessels, which have caused um, cerebral vascular events. Um, it also causes pain um, and GI symptoms. So um, each person, even though if you, well, as I said, I have a large big family, and several of us are impacted by the disease. Um, and we all present in different ways. We have, yes, I have a sister with, with more of cardiac issues. I have other sisters that, my other sisters have more renal involvement. Um, again, I have, I've had cerebral vascular events, but it also causes severe fatigue, which has impacted all of us. Um, the GI symptoms, which have again, impacted all of us, as well as pain in our extremities. Okay, wow. Um, so I don't know if you are able to explain um, a bit more about like the, the fact that it's at cellular level. How does it then impact the, the body? Um, it's kind of hard to explain, and I don't want to give... Um, misinformation, but um, mm -hmm. it does impact the lysosomes, lysosomes within the body and okay. how they operate. 
So um, that's like, again, that's on a very basic level. Um, but that's, it's something that you kind of take for granted. You don't realize mm-hmm. infection prior to our prior to our diagnosis. I had no idea what a lysosome was or anything that, you know, alpha galactositis A, um, I, which is the enzyme that's missing. So mm-hmm. um, I, I can't give you a scientific description very well, I should say, um, but it's something that everyone has and then you don't realize that you have it until you need it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's it. So um, it's interesting and, and I can go through the differences between men and women um, with it's carried on. It is a genetic disease. Um, X-linked, but not X-linked recessive. So it is carried on the X chromosome. And women are um, impacted a little bit differently because of um, X-lionization. So it depends on which, uh, in each, within each organ, which uh, X is being used. Kind of of confusing, I know. I'm probably just rambling, but (laughs) I apologize. That's not very clear. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, I think for people who understand genetics a bit, they'll they'll, they'll understand it. Um, so, all your sisters are impacted then. Yes, yes. Since we inherited it from my father, who was the first in our family line to be diagnosed, um, and okay. again, as it's it's carried on the X chromosome, um, my father, um, with his offspring, when a male person has it. 100% of his female offspring will inherit it, um, the disease, and 100% of his male offspring will not be impacted because he, pa- he passes on his X chromosome to make mm-hmm. a female. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, yes, that's, that's what happens. However, um, when a woman has it, when a female gets pregnant, it's 50-50% chance of passing on the affected gene or the, excuse me, the affected X. Um, so each pregnancy, you have a chance, a 50-50 chance of passing it on to your offspring. Okay. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, going back a little bit in our family history and in our first beginning of the journey with Fabre, you know, we were first diagnosed in 1984. And back then, they really did not know a whole lot about the disease. Um, they've learned so much, thankfully, since then. However, I do recall, I mean, one of my most vivid memories um, when we began this journey um, after my father was diagnosed is sitting around a table in a large teaching hospital and sitting with a, a geneticist and a genetic counselor and them explaining what they thought they knew at the time, um, how women are impacted. He said, my father was obviously impacted. He had had begun to show renal involvement. Um, And my three older sisters and I were told that we were carriers at that point. And that was the belief of the most, you know, well-known Fabry specialist in the world, that we were just carriers. Um, And since then, they've understood the disease a little bit more. And, um, you know, it's taken many, many years to understand it. But at that point, they clearly said to us that we would never have any type of problem. However, um, I should say, never feel any symptoms. However, they, we, they also told us not to have children, which was devastating at the time because they they 
there was no treatment or anything for kids. But, um, you know, it was, I was 14 years old and they're telling me I shouldn't have children. And as I as said, I was from a large loving family and I just saw my future having, have one as, having one as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 1984, times have changed. <laughs> um, yeah, thankfully. <laughs> but it's, at least my feeling is that it shouldn't be a doctor's uh, decision and they should give you the facts, and, but then it's your decision. Oh, yes, um, and that is so true. Um, and I think now, in fact, I've shared that story with many a, a current genetic counselor and geneticist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thankfully, they're all appalled at that, at that conversation. Um, they never would, would say that now. Yeah. Um, but it was quite frightening to me at the time, as well as my sisters, you know, to, you know, as I've said, I, I had a dream of having a large family and mm-hmm. that was shattered. And yeah. um, thankfully, I did not listen to them, <laughs> nor did my <laughs> sisters. So we continue to have a wonderful family. Amazing. Good to hear. Uh, so, so would you be able to share a bit more about how like, it impacts you on a day-to-day basis? Yes, for me in particular, um, again, in those early years, I, I was diagnosed as a teenager, was told that mm-hmm. an, um, anything that I was feeling could not be related to Fabre. So through those early years, I had a lot of um, GI issues. I had a lot of pain, especially pain that was brought on by my intolerance to extreme temperature changes, um, heat mm-hmm. and cold. Um, <clears throat> and I had, a, I, had a, I had a lot of dizzy spells and headaches and a, and a great deal of fatigue. Um, so as that as I went on through my teen years, I suffered from these symptoms and, mm-hmm. but tried to pinpoint the cause of those symptoms. Every time I went to a doctor, uh, I was told it was my hormones, it was growing pains. So I had been formally diagnosed with Fabry disease, but they didn't realize that that was causing all of these issues. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, all my symptoms were kind of just thrown under the rug um, a bit. But, um, you know, things have changed, but I went through my teen years and my college years and into my 20s, and there still was a lack of understanding of how women were impacted by Fabry disease. Um, okay. Yes, and so myself, I, I started to have um, cerebral vascular events. So I suffered from several TIAs. And even when I, when I, was in the hospital, taken to the hospital with the TIA, where my entire left side of my body went numb, slurred speech, very frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, it still was not attributed to my Fabre. <laughs> so really? It took quite a bit. So, um, you know, fast forward 20 years and, um, you know, I still, there are treatments now, but mm-hmm. I still live with extreme fatigue. Um, I have a difficult time again in, in, in like changing environments like i would have a very difficult time living in the in the south um where the heat is is much more intense um as as many fabry patients do but i personally would not be able to do that um Mm -hmm. yeah it just causes a lot of heat and a lot of fatigue and it's also one other 
big aspect of how it's impacted a lot of Fabry patients. And I think that it's good that it's finally being recognized is the mental health aspect. Um, oh, okay. Yes, they're finding that um, depression, anxiety is directly linked to having Fabry. And I think um, much more than just having a chronic illness, which of course can impact your mental health, mm -hmm. but they're finding that there's more clinical evidence that it's linked to Fabry disease. Okay. Um, we'll come back to that because uh, I think it would be interesting to, to dive into it a bit more. In terms of uh, your your symptoms, so you, you mentioned treatment. Um, so do you have treatment that addresses all the symptoms or how do you manage your, your symptoms? So the pain, for example, the fatigue. Yeah. So they... Um... A lot of fabric patients take different things to, to manage the symptoms, as you said, um, mm -hmm. everything from, you know, Tylenol to Neurontin to various um, painkillers. Um, medical marijuana is also used um, by quite a few fabric patients mm -hmm. to to control the pain. Um, right. But um, there's yes, there are, thankfully, at least in the U.S. right now, we have um, three approved treatments that help slow the progression of the disease, okay. but none of them will take away every symptom, at least not yet. I'm, I'm hopeful that there's, there's many things on the horizon, yeah. um, new developments, but um, yeah, so it's really just kind of managing like, you know, GI symptoms could be just something that, you know, like it's taking a Tums to help with the, the GI issues mm -hmm. or um, again, taking just various pain medications. Yeah. And where is the, the pain? Where do you feel it the most? Does it change or is it usually the same? Um, pace? For me, um, as well as other fabric patients, a lot of times, as I said, it's in your extremities. So it can begin as tingling in your fingers. Um, a lot of fabric patients do suffer from neuropathy as well. That's best described, I would say, um, similar to diabetic neuropathy, but I will get intense um, pain in my hands and, and fingers. I also get it in my legs, um, in my joints, but mainly, yeah, mainly my appendages. Um, although I've had a pain crisis where it's severe abdominal pain, went into the ER thinking possibly appendicitis, and they found no other symptom, or excuse me, no other cause of it. So it was attributed to my Fabry disease. Really? So to the point where you had to go to A&E? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's wow. definitely, there have been many times where I've had to go to the hospital to, to mitigate the pain. Okay. And did they, did they treat the pain? Because I've, I've heard like there was a, a different person on, on the podcast who mentioned that there was a stigma uh, about people coming for pain oh, treatment yeah. and that doctors don't necessarily uh, give treatment straight away. Yes, that is definitely um, a burden for a lot of pain sufferers, a lot of, of people here, especially within the rare disease world, I would mm -hmm. say, because you, know, um, you can go to a, to a hospital setting, go to emergency room and say you have this pain, but it's very difficult to describe. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's something like pain, I injured my leg, 
you know, they're easy, can easily can see the physicians and the caretakers can easily see that this is what's causing your pain. Yeah. But with something like Fabry disease, it's, and they've never heard of it, which is mostly that's the case in most times I go to a hospital, mm -hmm. um, they question it. They have to look it up and then yeah. they wonder, you know, they have to look through my chart. Have I been to the hospital recently, many times, numerous times seeking pain, pain medication? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, there's a lot of education that, <laughs> that comes every time you go to the ER um, yeah. that's necessary, but yes, that, that well, can be a problem for many patients. Yeah, yeah. And does the treatment you have a prevent the TIAs or not? Um, well, it's very, very difficult to say. Um, right. I've been on a treatment for a number of years and I, I have had them, but it's like uh, so many other drugs or, or treatments. You don't know what it's preventing, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, and because whether or not I was on, if I was not on treatment, would I be having them much more frequently? Would I've had what I've had to have had a like a full on stroke with lasting effects? Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to tell, mm -hmm. but I think um, you know the treatment that I'm on has definitely helped with my GI symptoms over the years. It has helped with the pain. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting because in the rare disease space, so many patients are are fighting for treatments, fighting for yeah. clinical trials. And, you know, here I have my three sisters and I just are a perfect little um, example to see that, you know, we all have the same gene variant, mm -hmm. but it impacts us in different ways. Yeah. And each treatment has impacted, like we've tried, all three of us have tried different treatments, whether it's through trials or after approval, and each mm -hmm. treatment impacts us differently. So, you know, that's what we're always fighting for is, is more treatments out there on market to help each individual. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually, because you would assume, like, if you didn't have any uh, understanding of how the body works, you would assume, well, same family uh, treatment should impact them in the same way. But no, that, that's, that's very interesting. And it really aligns with like, the... the Thankfully, the movement on uh, diversity and, uh, and inclusion in the clinical trial space to exactly have yes. more minorities represented. Um, well, actually, on the topic of family, so a lot of the the especially rare disease patients that come on the podcast share the importance of community, uh, and they seek like. A community to share um, about the, the the disease or condition they have, but also about treatments. So for you, you were kind of born with this community within your family. Has it helped at all? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Again, um, you know, I was we our family was diagnosed, you know, years before social media was a thing. You know, even yeah. really years before people had, it was a common place to have a, a your own PC and the internet and email. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, of course it was out there, but it just wasn't as commonly used. Yeah. 
people yeah. didn't just rely on it. Um, we weren't carrying around a little computer in our in our hand every day, um, as such as we, we do right now with the phones. Um, so our community was was very small. Um, yes, yeah. we had each other, which helped immensely. Um, but where we were constantly, even in those early years, trying to connect with other Fabry patients. And it really, the our only way to do so was through the, the specialty care, like facilities, the, mm-hmm. the centers of excellence, um, those physicians um, until the mid nineties was one of the first um, grassroots organization and, and so many other diseases within the rare disease space. That's how it starts. These, these communities, these associations, um, advocacy groups start around someone's kitchen table and mm-hmm. just another family. And we were fortunate to connect with um, such an organization early on. Mm-hmm. And um, they really helped spread the spread the news and widen our circle. You know, I always say this um, many times when a rare disease patient is diagnosed, again, your circle is very tight, right? It's just yeah. you and you're trying to find you're trying to find that informa- um, information, learn things, and really care for you or your loved one. But then you mm-hmm. realize you can, you know, there's others out there with the same disease, the same same type of issues, um, disease-specific issues. And you find them through now. It's it's social media and advocacy groups and so many different other ways. But then even from in my um, in my life. I, what I've done is it, I found that that cir- circle is widened. I've not only connected with other Fabry patients, but other, then it was other patients within the lysosomal storage disorders. And then mm-hmm. from there, it's other rare disease patients and caretakers. And um, you just learn so much that our diseases could be completely separate, um, completely different as, in the way that they manifest within our bodies. Mm-hmm. But yet, our burdens, our concerns, our challenges as a rare disease patient are so universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that goes for caretakers. So yes, community is everything. It's, you know, I picked that song because my family is, is everything. We support each other. We help each other. Um, we advocate each other for each other. Um, and you know, that advocate, that advocacy that within our family really, I think allowed my father to live much longer than he did mm-hmm. and which allowed us to make memories with our kids, with our, my father. And, um, but yeah, I can't get by without, without our, the community out there. Um, it's, it's, it's a blessing and um, it's a need. Everyone needs community. I think that's just a human, human need. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. How did you decide or what made you decide to become a patient advocate? Um, really, I think that, well, <laughs> I think it's my personality. I love to connect okay. with people, obviously. <laughs> it's really, um, I can't stay silent. I I feel like there's so much that needs to be heard um, from the patient voice. And not mm-hmm. only just the patient, but the family, the caregiver as well. Um, I've been in a unique position, as as is a lot of people within a, that have a genetic inherited disease. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it doesn't impact just me. It impacts many family members, which means it impacts, uh, like, my sisters and I served as caregivers for our father. Um, yeah. Each of us have children. Um, 
a few, three of us have children that are impacted by the disease. So okay. I was given the gift of conversation, if you want to say. I'm a very persistent mm -hmm. person, put it that way. Um, so I think, as I explained, my, my circle kept growing. And I felt like that, yes, that patient voice needed to be heard. Um, and I just kind of put myself out there and started talking to people within the pharma industry um, and biotech industry and trying to mm -hmm. get the word out there and, and those connections. And, um, you know, kind of going back to the connections we've had with, with the patient advocacy groups, I think that that's important. I feel like, you know, if I can yeah. support them in any way, I think that's kind of where I've, where I've gone. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to go back on the mental health uh, aspect. And I think you mentioned that yourself, that um, having a, a health condition can impact your mental health just in itself, uh, especially if you have to constantly advocate for yourself, not necessarily get what you're hoping for from the healthcare system. Uh, but you said that Fabry is linked to mental health issues. So would you be able to share a bit more about that and and how you feel yourself impacted by it? Yeah, if, uh, Fabry patients is very near and dear to my heart now. And I think it's really through experience. Um, and I share this openly because my daughter is open about it. And I, I, I look mm -hmm. I, as, again, there's challenges of being both a patient and a caregiver. Yeah. Since we've known about the disease for so long, we've, we've, we've been very well versed in the physical aspects of it going um, throughout the many, many years that we've been dealing with it. Um, so my, my daughter was diagnosed with Fabry disease and okay. I would have, a, as she, she grew, I, my, our focus really was on her physical health, getting her the mm -hmm. treatments, taking her to the doctor's appointments, getting everything all set up at school and such um, with 504 plans and, you know, took care of everything from the physical aspect. Um, but one thing I missed is her mental health. Uh, and that was, that was really difficult because I, you're so focused in on the physical aspect, you don't realize the toll that that's taking. And mm -hmm. she, she had a very difficult time in high school. Thankfully, she, we've um, kind of gotten on the right path now. But okay. it, that situation really opened my eyes to how, um, again, how having a chronic illness, having a rare disease does impact um, your mental health. But then we started digging more and speaking with a lot more professionals and uh, that deal with, with people with Fabre. And more and more studies are being done how Fabre disease goes beyond just impacting you from the stress level of having a, a chronic illness, um, how they're determining, there's something called, they call Fabry fog right now. Okay. Um, so Fabry fog is, is something there's, they're noting that there's cognitive issues, memory issues oh, that okay. are coming along with the progression of the disease, mm -hmm. uh, much more than just, um, you know, the natural aging process, but um, depression, anxiety, it's very, very real. If you do go on to social media um, sites, the different um, Facebook pages, and you look at, and there have been studies that have analyzed the different, um, you know, keywords that are in there, mm -hmm. where people talk about depression, anxiety, and then they also mention medications that are related to that 
that mental health conditions that are being prescribed to Fabry patients, um, it seems that there's there's much more of a pattern that they picked up on. And, okay. you know, as with any rare disease, they're constantly learning things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that more physicians um, and geneticists are realizing that mental health and, and depression, anxiety are truly are the cl- clinical manifestations of the disease. So I look forward to, because right now I know there's several studies being done. So okay. I look forward to reading more um, publications that, that back those, that show the reports and, and the findings of those studies. Cause I, I can tell you it's, it's very real. Yeah. Okay. And so how did you approach it with your, with your daughter? Um, like knowing that she was carrying the the disease as well, um, like with your experience, did you have anything to to make it easier for her at all? Um, for the diagnosis, or Ye- yes, and, and managing living, the... living with Fabre. Yes. Well, I, I think it's a little, um, you know, each of us have our own path and our own journey and our own mm-hmm. ex- life experiences with this. But I think it was looking at her um, as an example or my nieces and, or my other nephews that are impacted. Mm-hmm. You know, my sisters and I, we were like, we were the first. We didn't, we had nothing. We knew nothing about Fabry, right? So it was like a shock. Mm-hmm. We didn't know this. But our children, on the other hand, have kind of grown up knowing what Fabry is. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when she was born, when my daughter was born and, and our son, um, we didn't have them tested immediately because mm-hmm. at that time, you know, there really wasn't anything when, um, when she was very young, there really wasn't anything that we were going to do. Um, there was no treatment that we were going to give her at that age. Yeah. So we had her watched and um, just, uh, just checked every year by specialists. Mm-hmm. Um, her, watching her development. And then once, once she, she started complaining about issues and with Fabry disease, generally the, the, the onset of symptoms, generally, this is general speaking, of course, every individual is different, but yeah. is, can be age nine or 10. Um, but if you don't know what you have <laughs> and you don't have any family history with Fabre, you're not diagnosed until your your 20s or 30s. So there's a significant yeah. amount of time. Well, with our daughter, we didn't have to worry about that. She was officially diagnosed when she was 10, mm-hmm. but um, she kind of knew knew the drill. Um, so, and we tried to make her life as, as normal as possible. And I've tried to say this to my kids, um, you know, having a rare disease, it is a part of you. You have to live with it. You may yeah. have to make modifications, but it doesn't define you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's, I think that my daughter has been very good about that. And I say my daughter, um, also my son, my son has, doesn't have that rare disease, but he has another rare disease. So we kind of okay. um, go through the same things with him as well. Yeah. Yeah, it must be, it must be, challenging in a way and i don't know if that's the right word but to have to have seen your father um then have it yourself and then having to to manage it with your children um but at the same time you sound very positive uh so it's very good to to see (laughs) it's not always easy the one thing i do want to um say when i just thought of my dad um so when he was diagnosed you know again there was there was nothing out there 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, there was nothing out there. There was no, there was no treatment. There was no, nobody mm -hmm. really knew what to do. So all my father heard was, I have a disease and I've passed it on to my children. Mm -hmm. And that overwhelming feeling of guilt that my father carried for years was, I never could understand that. I'm like, dad, no, of course, this isn't something you chose for us. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a much of a, it was a burden for him that he carried all through his life. Um, and he would apologize out of the blue. I'm so sorry I did this to you. And then it even 10 times fold um, more guilt piled on when he, when he realized his grandchildren were impacted. And mm. as a, as a daughter, I'm like, I couldn't understand why he carried this guilt mm -hmm. of passing it on. And then my, my daughter was diagnosed and then I felt that guilt. And yeah. logically I could tell you, I'm like, of course I had no choice in that. I didn't, I didn't choose to pass this on to her, but I no. still felt that burden. And, um, you know, I hope now that as my daughter gets, you know, older and looks towards having a family that there's been so much advancement that she's not going to ever have to feel that guilt. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely agree with that. And yeah. Um, well, I, I, I really like learned a lot and, and it's, incredible to, to hear about uh, something that I, I can relate to a fight almost and like seeing that you, you went into patient advocacy is even more like carrying that that fight to raise awareness and and yeah thank you for doing that um, I always like finishing with one question that, that uh, I find very uh, interesting to see the reaction and hear the answer to um, what is your happy place, a place where you feel at peace? Wow, that's, that's a, that is an interesting one. Where is my happy place? Oh, I think my happy place is, it really is, it goes back to my, the first question you asked, you know, um, picking the song about family. Mm -hmm. um, just being with my kids and being with my husband and, and oh, is it calm? Is it peaceful? Not always. No, <laughs> we're one big, very, very loud family. Yeah. But in the reality of it, even if there's craziness and you know stress, it, just being with my family. Um, you know, I love to be to to be on vacation, of course, with my family, mm -hmm. and sitting on a beach and and just watching my kids and thinking of the memories. Um, I guess just really my happy place is my family. They are yeah. my happy place. Well, and I feel like we've gone full circle with the song you chose, so <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Sabina. As I say, it was really like I've, I've learned a lot. And, and I think you've kind of shared something different about community in a way as well. Um, and about how to think about inherited um, conditions that, um, like, I, I really appreciated what you said about the guilt that, like, it's not your fault. That's not something you, you chose. And, and you created life, which is the best gift you can ever give to someone. So um, there shouldn't be any guilt there. 
Thank um, you. But, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, and yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you so much for having me.